My guest today is Mikhail Esfeldt, the full professor of philosophy of science at the University of Lausanne in Switzerland, where he's been for more than 20 years now. He's also a fellow of the National Academy of Germany, Leopoldina, and has recently become a member of the Board of Trustees of the Liberal Institute of Switzerland, and also a fellow of the Hayek Society of Germany. All in all, he is a professor of philosophy of science who majors on the definitions of liberalism, open society and freedom with a strong scientific background. He's also found to his cost that some of his ideas will not meet the test of the censors, even in his own profession. Mikhail, you're very welcome today. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Mikhail, you've been in Switzerland for more than 20 years now. A lot of viewers of UK Column regard it as uh, a paragon of freedom and an embodiment of the kind of enlightenment liberalism uh, that people feel they've lost in Germany, Britain, Austria, elsewhere. Uh, but although you've got full tenure at a Swiss university, you are all already feeling the pinch of some kind of censorship and cold shouldering. First of all, tell us about your setting, uh, what you appreciate about being in Lausanne and in Switzerland more generally, and how you have come to the position we'll be exploring, uh, which is that the rule of law is under serious threat because of lack of courage. Now, as you mentioned, Alex, I'm a philosopher of science. And when you've done your PhD, your postdoc, you apply all over the, the places. And so I had the luck to be appointed in Lausanne 21 years ago when they founded a program for, for science students and philosophy also. So my job partially is to teach science students some basics and philosophy of science and then the usual philosophy program. And, and uh, as you may know, the, the Lake Geneva, it's a nice region and, and Lausanne University, the working conditions are good and they are still good. I mean, they are still better than in, than in other places. So I had no reason to apply for other jobs since I've been here. And I mean, my work all the time was all over the, the period of, of, I did my PhD in 1994, so that's nearly 30 years ago now. And that was on Hobbes, and it was on the relationship between Hobbes' philosophy of, of nature, of philosophy of science, his anthropology, and his political philosophy. So the intersection between natural science and um, human sciences, humanities was always the focus of my work. And I always argued against scientism. So all what I say now and, and uh, what has met with a lot of reservations or opposition is what I said all the time and for which I got a professorship was a elected fellow of the National Academy, etc. So nothing has changed, I would say. I still say the same thing. And the only thing I do is that I continue to say the same thing and also I continue to apply it to the, to the present situation. So my first philosophy book that I read when I was about 15 years old was Popper on the Open Society and its enemies. And, and I still regard Popper as, a, as one of the most important philosophers of the 20th century, both in philosophy of science and in political philosophy. And all the points, I mean, there's nothing original in me, you find them in Popper, about both about natural science and its limits and about the political implications. 
Let us dive straight into that because I wanted to explore some definitions of terms with you, Mikhail, and I know that a significant slice of our audience will have pricked up their ears when you mentioned Karl Popper. The one thing they may know about them, and I don't mean to be patronising, but it's just a reflection of the media environment, uh, established and new media. The one thing they will know about Karl Popper is that he was tutor to George Soros. And when they hear you mentioning the open society, which you mention, uh, I think, quite frequently in your uh, high profile article for the Brownstone Institute recently for an international audience, they may think, uh, is Mikhail Esfeld endorsing the man who gave the world George Soros? So perhaps you'd better tease out for us what uh, Karl Popper's philosophy of the open society was and how actually he was quite opposed to turning religion into a science, scientism. Yes. So his view of the open, the open society is a society in which you respect other people's lifestyle, religion, etc. You, you respect their self-determination to the extent that they respect some basic rules. So the basic rule is that everybody has the same rights and has the same right to self-determination. And that, that implies an obligation to respect other people. So this goes back to Kant mainly when Kant says that every human being, every person must always be treated as an end in itself and never as a means, never as a mere means to an end. So this is this, this Kantian framework based on human freedom and respecting of human freedom. And what Popper showed is that science, scientific theory, scientific discoveries presuppose human freedom, presuppose exchange, free exchange among scientists, uh, etc. So you have a clear link between science and what is called the, 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 the rule of law in an open free society. And that takes us straight on to the second tricky term that we have to define, the rule of law. Now, uh, David Scott and Brian Gerrish and I have in the most recent episode of A Dissident's Guide to the Constitution, which you can find from ukcolumn.org and then go to series, we have done a whole episode on the rule of law and the slippery definition of it. In fact, we entitled the episode Rule of Whose Law, because we felt that in the English speaking world and now globally, a trick is being played with this term and it's being held up as a false opposition to democracy uh, or the will of the people. Uh, we have an additional complication here in that you do your work in German, where the term is der Rechtsstaat, the, st the state bound by law or constitutional state or constitutional republic you also use in your English writing. Yeah. I don't think it means quite the same as we understand in English by the rule of law. Perhaps a better translation, a, a goodwill translation of what you mean by der Rechtsstaat would be uh, limited government in a more English speaking phrase. But uh, how has this, this term developed? Uh, because I, I think it's narrowing, actually. I see uh, that the Dutch used to just copy from German this, this phrase and they, call, they called it der Rechtsstaat then maybe inspired by the German secret services uh, who call themselves protectors of the constitution. They recently said they were defected, they were protecting the Demokratische Rechtsstaat, which is a narrowing of the phrase. And now this year, they've invented a new phrase, all of their own, which is the Demokratische Rechtsorder, the democratic order of law, which is about trust in institutions, apparently. So how has the definition turned and changed over the centuries? Yeah, there's a lot of abuse done with the term democracy here. But let's start with rule of law. Now, the question is, which law do you mean? And if you say rule of law, it cannot mean the positivist law imposed by states. 
I mean, then it would be trivial. Then every dictatorship, the Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, etc., would count as rule of law because there was a leader and they issued laws. So there was a legislative and they respected those laws, whatever they were. So if these were laws of discrimination against Jews or against uh, religious minorities or whatever, then that would be, but that can't be a rule of law. So when you speak of rule of law, you mean natural law. Now, there's a long history of natural law going back to the ancient Greeks, but it comes down to natural law in the sense a law that derives from human nature. And then we are back to the point that we had before, freedom, the free will, that is human nature. Why? Because when, look, take an example from, from science. You have a cat um, chasing, torturing a mouse before catching and eating the mouse. Now, you cannot criticize the cat. It's uh, instinctive behavior, or you, or do you may be morally appalled. But when a human being does the same thing, you criticize them. Because even if we have certain instincts, certain sense impressions, certain needs, certain desires, we can reflect upon them. Is that the right thing to do? We can ask this question. And therefore, we are subject to justification. The Greeks call it that logon didonai. You have to give reason for what you do. So you're you're always in a network of, of reasons and justifications. And rule of law refers to that. So the law, the basic law, of course, is to respect other people. That's the natural law. Respect their freedom, respect their right to deliberation, which also implies the obligation that they have to justify their actions. And if they torture other people, for instance, then apparently this is not justifiable. So the measure here, the law is the natural law that respects the, the, the freedom rights of every person. You can go, go back, for instance, to Kant. So the German tradition always refers to Kant. When Kant defines law, he means law naturrecht, natural law, as that law which makes the freedom of each person compatible with the freedom of every other person. So when they, the law interdicts when they infringe upon. And that should be a rule of law means that this law rules. Now, there's a good thing about, I like more the English word rule of law, and in German, I translated it into Rechtsordnung, because we don't have the state as yet in here. What we need for a rule of law is a judge. So suppose we sit in the room now, Alex, not, not via Zoom, but face to face, and you start smoking. And I feel offended by your smoking. And you say, well, I have the freedom. It's my house. Okay, if it's your place, I can say, well, I have the freedom to walk out. But suppose we are in a public place somehow. And then I complain. And now we may get into an argument and that may become, I mean, not you and me, but, but let's say, so some people may get into an argument. And before they resort to violence, they better appeal to a judge. So some neutral instance that judges the case whether someone infringed upon the freedom and, and the self-determination of another person. So to implement the rule of law, we need a judiciary system. We need something like what in English is called common law. We need judges in the first place. We have somehow to make an, um, an agreement or we must have some system, some mechanism in place such that when someone feels that someone interferes with their rights, they can appeal to a judge and the 
the judge is somehow respected and their judgments are somehow implemented. But we don't need a state for that, okay? And we don't need a legislation for that. We need, when a case comes up, so when someone feels offended by someone else, they must have the possibility to appeal to a judge. But the judge enters only if one party somehow feels offended. There's no prejudge. You don't need a state with a legislative for that that imposes all sorts of things. And you don't need a, a central state government for that to start with. We may need it. We may come back to that. Then we get to, to, to republicanism, etc. But rule of law basically means that, that the law is the respect of the basic rights of everybody. And the rule of law is that rule which guarantees these rights and implements them and settles conflicts in the case there is a conflict. And we have a long tradition of, of in England, common law in Ireland, common law, the Roman law of that. I think it was Lord Denning who summed up the common law understanding of the rule of law when he said, be you never so high, the law is above you. He sitting as one of the highest judges in the land acknowledged that the law was superior to him. And certainly in our part of the world, all the Germanic and Celtic tribes have a long history of having dispute resolution by appealing to juries and judges well before there was any state or legislature. So exactly. you're clearly born out there, uh, which helps to refute the idea that the rule of law can be waived uh, in front of uh, disenchanted plebs these days to be told we have these institutions they're democratic so you must like it or lump it because it was done in your name anyway i think there's one more term that we have to bottom out there because some of your fellow authors at the very uh, interesting brownstone institute who are bringing these issues to wide attention in the us and the world now a term that they're zooming in on as as part of the problem now um, is this idea of the general good or public good uh, a, a well-known term in its French-speaking past as the bien public, and it, if you go back to Rousseau, it claims to rest on this idea of la volonté générale, the general or universal will. And if you look more closely, uh, elitists like Rousseau uh, ended up claiming that uh, this was not the same as the volonté de tous, uh, not the will of every man, because that was a rabble, but certain rarefied souls could rise above the fray of, of public in, of, of partisan interest and could determine uh, kind of in the ether what the uh, what the real people or, or the, the real self-interest of the people was and embody that as something else and that now is coming back with a vengeance in the USA Britain elsewhere in countries that thought we didn't have this what we thought of as continental totalitarian problem because we're being told uh, we must limit your freedom uh, because of the general good this is the logos the reason which is now being furnished to us uh, but it's a hollow and and, uh, and fake one so how do we go about dismantling that go back to Popper. I mean, that's exactly the point Popper made in his The Open Society and its enemies. These are the enemies of the open society because they don't respect the freedom of everybody. That's not the same right of everybody anymore, but someone defines, I mean, it's clear, volonté de tous, the will of everybody makes no sense because you will never have unanimity, okay? So you have some, 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 all goods are scarce, now you have to distribute them and you won't agree on, on the, what does everybody share. So someone pretends that they can define what the volonté générale is or the common good. And you always have to be suspicious when someone says that because they take this to overrule the rule of law. Now they say, oh, it's not the case that you absolutely have 
some freedom rights, such as the right to express your view, the right to, 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 choose your, to choose your diet, the right to choose the place where you live, where you make agreement with, with, a, with a landlord to rent the place, etc. The right to open your business and, and sell your, your, your goods or, or open a pub and, and receive people and serve them food and drink. Uh, uh, to the extent that they agree and they agree on the price, etc. And someone comes, oh no, if you serve this dish, this is against the common good. If you um, um, uh, express certain views, they may hurt the feelings of certain other people, so you must not do this, etc. So the common good is an empty phrase because it cannot be defined. I mean, it, it, the definition is circular. It's the good. Uh, it can't be the good for everybody because some people will always say that they, they, they don't find this good. They don't like it. And so you need, and that's where this elite comes in, someone who fixes what the common good is. And then they claim to have a mandate for that or whatever. But the thing is very easy. Of course, we can talk about common goods and the like to the extent that we respect the basic rights of everybody. So, of course, say water is a common good. You need water and, and someone will supply you with water. Of course, obviously, water is a common good and there will be an agreement how to, how to supply water, what price to pay for it, etc. But it's not that someone can impose up you in the name of the common good and say, now, now we rationalize water, some, some central planning or something like that. Do you think that part of the trick that was played came through the 19th century developments in English liberalism. You've got Bentham, uh, utilitarian uh, founder, J.S. Mill, and then later in the century, uh, the likes of Rhodes and Lord Milner, all saying more uh, courageously than the last uh, throughout the century, well, we can't have everyone wanting his own way in this modern world. Uh, chaps like us are going to have to decide what's best. And in its most pseudo-civilized form, you could say that this is enunciated as, um, well, you, you have a right to, 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 to do what you want if you want the, the things that a well-bred Englishman wants. You know, that uh, we can tolerate a world in which people think like us and uh, those who don't are superfluous to requirements. That's a very dramatic extreme, of, but it was said by a lot of these English and German figures at the time. Um, or in a more moderate form, we're going to have to re-educate them. It was done, of course, very subtly with a, with a, a velvet glove around the iron fist. But is, is that where the, the switch of values took place so that the term liberal has ended up, especially in America now, being a term of abuse rather than the tradition it's, that you embody? I think you're right, and that is related to the development of, of nation states and, and imperialism, so the 19th century imperialism. I mean, there's a very good side to the 19th century and, and to Great Britain, Britain because they abolished slavery that came from, from, from England, that slavery was abolished and, and, I mean, with military force prevented that slaves were transported from Africa to America, etc. So that's a very good thing. So you should also say a good thing about 19th century England and liberalism. But then it deviated. It deviated with with a state who become not not a, not a state of protection of right, but a but a welfare state looking after the welfare of people. Then you got utilitarianism. The idea that somehow you could define a common good for most of the people, but then you will still ask, what is with the minority? Don't they have any rights? Or so do they have uh, 
they still have their, their human rights and each human being is unique. So if someone says, okay, for the, for the good of the more majority, we have to sacrifice your life, something obviously has, has gone wrong. So utilitarianism, also it's fine to the extent that you respect the basic rights of everybody. Well, they don't, etc. And then that's where it's not fine and, and where it goes astray. Your host society, Switzerland, seems to have canonized this because one of the most trenchant observations of Switzerland I ever read is that wherever you are in Switzerland, you are a minority in some way. You may yes. be one of the minority speakers of your language within your canton. You may be a minority religiously within your canton or even your municipality. And uh, it's a much more armed piece than uh, people think in Switzerland, not just pre-1848 when, like the rest of continental Europe, there were all kinds of uh, insurrections and civil wars going on, but even post-1848 when Switzerland reinvented itself as the international neutral state of peace. Uh, it's very much a, a, a place where people are asserting their rights uh, vigorously, if only with words and law, against others, isn't it? Well, I think it's mostly the pluralism that you mentioned. There are a lot of languages here, religions, etc. So that prevents central state from coming up. Now, if you're not happy with the people in your community for whatever reason, so so it can be very simple there, communal taxes. So you may find the taxes are too high in your village, you move to the next village or the next canton. So you have competition. And that's the important thing, I guess. So if you say, okay, so that's that's what we have Western speaking, Switzerland, the French speaking part where I am is more statist, more etatism than, than the German speaking part. So you get the people saying, yeah, okay, we have to raise taxes, uh, etc. for this or that good. And then some people will say, okay, well, why should I live in this place? And then they can just walk to another place. So that's the, I think that's the important thing about Switzerland, that you have alternative options. You don't have to emigrate to the United States, but you can go to the next village. They do it in another way. And you can't impose the central state because there's not a common language, not a common, what you would call nation building, etc. So that gives you alternatives, that gives you possibilities to, to um, if you don't like something, to choose some, some other way. And that limits state power, of course, because they know that the minority, even if they have a majority decision and say it's all democratic, they can vote with their feet and just walk away. And then and they are in trouble. They have in common with the Dutch this idea that they are a Willensnation, a nation which came into being by saying we don't want arbitrary rule, we're going to become a republic. The Netherlands is de facto in many ways still a republic more than some of the other monarchies. And also this freedom of movement and voting with your feet, which is much more associated with the USA, uh, but which does happen in the Netherlands and Switzerland with shorter distances. People say, I don't like this provincial tax or, or uh, bossing yeah. around. Uh, there are other countries, including in my perception, Germany, where people have much more of the attitude of I'm being abused here, but it, it is my Heimat. You know, my, my ancestors grew up here. Why should I give it up? Uh, a strong sentiment of that kind exists around the United Kingdom as well. But uh, you are perhaps less favorably disposed to that you might say that it's inviting tyranny over you. No, I mean this feeling exists also in Switzerland, and I would be skeptical about the word villains nation. My perception rather is 
that they live together for the mu. There is no viable alternative. So look at this French-speaking part of Switzerland, Lausanne, Geneva, etc. Culturally, they all look to France and regard France as a model. But if you ask someone, okay, so suppose some 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 Macron becomes something Napoleon-like and says, okay, the French nation and all French-speaking parts but people should be integrated into into France, and he starts some sort of campaign to conquer Western Switzerland. He would meet immediately with resistance because all the French-speaking people would say, "Okay, yeah, culturally France may be admirable, but we definitely don't want to live in the French state, and we don't like say these these German-speaking Swiss people. They are rural. They are they are not well cultivated, uh, etc. So there are some reservations, but at least economically, etc. We are better." off with them. They leave us more freedom than if we were France. And so you can do this the same turn now with the French, with the German speaking part or the Italian speaking part. The alternatives are worse. So no one will or not, but most people will not somehow say Switzerland, at least this is my perception. I mean, I'm, I'm coming as an outsider. This is the nation, etc., as you have it in France or in Germany. And that's the problem about Germany, what you mentioned. You don't have, in principle, you also have um, a state which is built from below, but de facto not. De facto, you have a, a central state. There's, there's one that the tax is always the same. They make the same policy. They even education, etc., is, is no longer in the states. They had these these mock during the COVID regime. They had these showings of of where well, they called all the regional leaders, etc., the minister, president, etc. But this was predetermined. I mean, pre there was one way to impose um, uh, a central rule there. So you don't have what you have in Switzerland, this possibility of, of uh, going somewhere else. And in Switzerland, you have it, as I mentioned, because of the difference in language and culture, etc., which you cannot uh, just gloss over. As you could in Germany, you have one, one language, one uh, one nation since the 19th century, etc. And this uh, creates or, or favors the central state, which, which erases pluralism. And then you're back. If you want to leave, you would have to leave the whole country, etc. Emigrate to the United States or emigrate to Switzerland. What happens these days? I mean, I mean, uh, a lot of people who have trouble in Germany emigrated to Switzerland, and and for in former days, a lot of people emigrated to the United States, etc. I know some Germans who live just a few hundred yards over the border in Schaffhausen or somewhere so that they can yeah. home educate, for example. And yes. with the Dutch and Belgians and Luxembourgers, you get this. People live just over the border in another Benelux country or France or Germany for lower taxes or better schooling. Or It, it does happen in Europe more than people think. Without getting too sentimental or romantic, we could even say that the national anthems of the various German-speaking countries reveal a thing or two. The Austrians start by praising the beauty of their land, you know, so the land has primacy over them. The Germans think back Back to 1848 and their assertion of liberalism and they start by asking for Einigkeit und Recht und Freiheit in that order. Let's be one unitary state, although it's, as you say, there's a show of federalism. And then secondly, we demand law. And thirdly, we demand liberty. The, yeah, whereas the, the French the want liberty, equality, lost. fraternity. Yeah, and that is in part a result of the Einigkeit, of the centralism, which, which erases pluralism, which tends to, if you have power concentrated in one place, in one hand, that tends to abuse. Whereas the Schweizer Psalm, the Swiss national anthem, at least since 1961, goes to the other extreme and talks about the God-given rights of the individual and doesn't really mention the state at all. It mentions yeah. the individual relationship with his creator and his inalienable rights. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, that's all right. I mean, the state comes in as Rechtsstaat if it comes in as all to implement and guarantee the rule of law. But these days, that's difficult. Also in Switzerland, because Switzerland may be better off than the neighboring countries, but with all these trends, they they don't resist to these trends. I often so they come here as well, but in a somehow mitigated way. I like reporting on uh, on UK column about Switzerland and, in fact, the Netherlands. How because of their unique constitutional past and their republicanism, um, they do import the evils of the Western beast we can call it but they always have to give it a, a native twist and it gets watered down in some way uh, and often from province to province even from town to town the results are different whereas in germany or i'm sad to say the uk or certainly france they would be imposed uniformly and and rubber stamped by officials uh, from top to bottom of the country before we get off geographical considerations i have to ask since you grew up in the late cold war in west berlin do you think that made you more perceptive of the, the boundaries of liberty? I mean, after all, yes. you could see the communist world and you were talking about alternatives earlier. I guess a lot of mentors in your youth would say, uh, young man, if you don't like what you see, just look over there and that's the alternative. Exactly. I mean, you could literally see the Berlin Wall and what was going on uh, beyond the war and that people were shot dead when they tried to, to flee, etc. So you had a very clear alternative and that's part of the problem that we have today, because now, now go back to say 1968, 1969. If we mention the, the, the coronavirus waves, you had um, the, the Hong Kong flu at that time. And, and from an epidemiological point of view, I mean, as far as all the data are concerned, the Hong Kong um, the flu was, was worse in and, uh, and those days, but it would have been impossible to think of imposing a lockdown or anything like that, because everybody would say, but, but look, listen, that's what they do beyond the war. I mean, the the the, the state, I mean, the, the, the discourse, if you want to say, the, the, the narrative was that we in the West, we are free and, and look beyond the wall, it's it's the Soviet tanks. And, and if the people there go on the street, then the Soviet tanks come and shoot at them. And, and it's a military dictatorship, a totalitarian state, etc. And we are different. And now we don't have this alternative. I mean, China, China is far away. Eastern Europe has been uh, liberated. Russia is somehow an authoritarian country, but but uh, but not, and, and that was not like the Soviet Union. So we lack this contrast point, and and I think that's a very important aspect why this this what happens now can happen because there is no there is no obvious alternative to contrast it with. So people in, in Eastern Germany often say, well, we are going back to this is this is DDR 2.0. So this this goes back to the to the so-called German Democratic Republic, and we see it revived, etc. But that's back in the memory. So, so most people who live today are younger than me, and and they don't remember those days actively. They may they were not born or have been small children, etc. So the part, the point of 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 lacking an obvious. Uh, Contrast is part why this 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 Western narrative of the free Western world could break down so easily. One of the two articles that you have written so far for the Brownstone Institute talks about uh, COVID as uh, one of the areas, perhaps the area in which postmodernism has already arrived. And we'll concentrate on the other article you've written. But in that COVID uh, postmodernism article, uh, you posit that it is the presence of fiat money. 
which allows COVID to be uh, uh, really rolled out in the absence of any real basis for it, because state, uh, state force, state incentives reach infinity when you're using fake money. You, you also say at the end of your book, we'll be talking about your uh, new book later, uh, but you have this sentence in the, the German edition, wenn das Gesundheitssystem nicht in staatlicher Hand lege, dann könnte es das Übel, das wir zurzeit erleben, nicht geben. If the health system wasn't in state hands, uh, we would not be seeing the evils we're currently witnessing, which may surprise people because, you know, foreigners to Central Europe, outsiders to Central Europe, might think that the various German-speaking countries are fiscally responsible. They might also think that it's only us in Britain and Canada, for example, that have a, a state healthcare system. Uh, you're saying that de facto Central Europe does as well. Yes, so so slowly. Now, you always have two things. You have an ideology. So we have the scientist and postmodern ideology, which goes back to, 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 to Rousseau somehow, which you mentioned, the common good. So someone poses an allegedly common good and says, this is imposed by moral or science uh, and whatever. And you have to so-called this, the Überbau in, in Hegelian or Marxist terms, and these terms are right. And then Unterbau, so some, some real thing, some real power. And the real power you have uh, is the welfare state, which, which seeks to, uh, under the pretext of protecting people, to enlarge its power. And those two came together. And now the, 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 the welfare state, which is at some stage in the, uh, the early 1970s, could not be financed by, 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 by real money, by money that was covered by some real goods like, like gold, because they needed more money. And then they started printing money. And the COVID regime, as I said, would have not been possible without the ability of the state to print money as they wish. So they enlarged the M2, the quantity of money, by 40%, which is, which is enormous just to, 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 to pay, to bail out everybody. Because no one, if, if you should shut down your business, I mean, you you have to weigh the pros and cons by shutting down your business. So suppose you think it protects you from a virus, but you get into other troubles. So someone has to pay for that. And if they can just print money, then they can pay for it and you don't see the consequences. You will see them. We started seeing them through inflation, but you don't see them immediately and that instrument of power the state must have otherwise they could not do the lockdowns they must have they could not do the vaccine mandates and impose your certain medical treatment without a state-controlled health system now suppose you had a free health system then you would choose i mean you should have a health insurance of course and before we had in switzerland compulsory health insurance i read that 98 percent of the people had a health insurance uh, they, they already had it of course and the two percent you had who didn't have if they fell ill of course you could finance that if two percent of the population don't that you won't let them uh, you won't let them die if, if they are if they are ill so what in fact just just to interrupt on that in the netherlands we have a bible belt that represents two or three percent of the population which on principle isn't insured and that works out in principle in practice by people going to the deacons of their church if they're uninsured and have a high mm. health bill yeah yeah so 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 somehow this is done without the compulsion because there's some of course you would help people out there that are need you don't need a state for that so anyway what happened when switzerland at the end of the 90s imposed compulsory health insurance. So they defined, the state said, okay, this is the health insurance that you need. And they set a catalog, what is in there and what is out. So for instance, uh, 
you, you made the, some people are fans of some sort of alternative medicine that is out. So the, the state imposes what you need in insurance and what is covered. And then but what happened is that the, that, the, that the contribution for this insurance, the cost just doubled or tripled uh, without any achievement. But this, of course, then made it possible for the state to say, okay, now you, you we, we offer you for free these COVID tests and these vaccines. We pay for that. Okay, and then it made the second step possible. Now it becomes mandatory for for or crazy mandatory. You are not allowed, etc. If we didn't have this, of course, I mean, pharmaceutical industry is welcome to make innovations, so they may invent vaccines or whatever. But then they have to convince people that first these things are safe, that these things are effective, and then they are liable. So if someone buys this product, so if you go into a supermarket and you buy some food and the food is not good and you fall ill, etc., you can sue the supermarket or the producer of the food that they that they sold the things which are harmful to your health. It's again the issue of rule of law and you have certain rights and now they shielded you and, and when they don't assume liability, you there's a judge, you, you can sue them. Now what happened in this case is that the state just can, if they have a state-controlled health system, and they do in Switzerland as well as in the United Kingdom, in Switzerland, everybody is, is compiled, there's compulsory contribution. So if you don't pay for your health insurance, you end up in the last resort, you, you end up in prison in the same way as if you don't pay your taxes, at the end of the day, they will imprison you. And uh, so then the state can can define what is good for your health and can impose it on you. And you that's the, that's part of the problem, or that is the problem. So you have the two things. The only thing you need the, the Unterbau, some 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 state power which can impose in the name of common good whatever they want on you. And now they, they have the power, they want to use the power. And then comes in the ideology, of course, come in. Uh, come in um, economic interest. So if you run a business and have to convince customers, that's a hard job. It's better you just bribe or convince some politician that you that you work for the common good, so that the politician will bail you out in case of failure, like with banks. And the even better thing is to say, okay, you think it's necessary for the well-being of the of the population, so the politician buys your stuff with taxpayers' money, imposes it on the people, and you are not even liable. That's, that's guaranteed profit without any risk, of course. And then you have the ideology which comes in and says this or that uh, is good. And, and that's how they, they, they come together and how we end up in the situation where we are now, which I call I really actually existing postmodernism. So in Germany, in German, you said real existierende socialismus. So the thing was you had Marxism, you had a certain ideology which said that Roughly speaking, um, if everybody contributes to his abilities, then everybody will get their needs satisfied, which obviously can't work because my needs are much more than my what I want is much more than what I'm able to produce. Okay, so and then you got this implemented. So you got the actually existing socialism, and they had to implement it via a totalitarian state and the gulag. Okay, so you have a postmodern ideology which says that everybody lives more or less can live in their own reality. There's there are no universe. There's no universal reason. There are no universal there's my feeling and there's your feeling and we live each in our own reality but the problem is that we somehow socially interact we compete we want to have the same good so we clash and if there's no no universal reason then it's just a question of power who determines what is the what is the common good what is the reality that's what we've seen in these 
Cuvite's posts that are called as actually existing postmodernism. So the state, while in Germany this is called fact checkers in the official media, they define what the facts are, okay? And then you go to court, okay? You say, okay, I have, um, that what happened there, a lot of actual court cases. So they said, my children fall ill because they had to wear a mask compulsory. I got a vaccination because I fell ill. And then the judge rules and says, okay, the state, the government has determined via the, the, the official institutions, such as the Robert Koch and the Paul Ehrlich Institute in Germany, that there are no adverse effects of the vaccines. So you're, 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 you, you can't sue them. Your complaint is rejected out of hand because these are the facts and the facts are what the authority states that the facts are. And that's this postmodernism, you know, you lose the universal reason, the independent, the skepticism, the independent way of checking facts. You are no longer allowed to seize a judge which hears or decides. So some of, the, uh, some of those who complained, they were even denied a court hearing because a court hearing cannot take place because there's a dangerous virus as the state has established, et cetera, or the plane is obviously wrong because science has established this and this, and then this is rejected out of hand, even without hearing the parties and even without calling in independent experts. So you see the total corruption that comes with this postmodernism because what a fact is, is what the authority says is a fact. We see this term Staatsgewalt, state violence or government compulsion as perhaps the key of your insight in various domains now because you've described to us the house of postmodernism that it's uh, Unterbau, it's, it's uh, bottom story, it's ground floor is that you're forced to pay the taxes and the health insurance. Uh, a nice proof of that by the way is that uh, I think six years ago now UK Column did a specialist sem symposium on the undoing of the public nature of the British NHS and all the speakers told us that the one thing we would keep we developed differently from the Bismarckian healthcare model because it's universalized and goes through the central treasury not through uh, any kind of employers or, or other associations the one thing that the government would keep would be forcing us to pay the insurance and that insurance would be disbursed by the one public remaining part of the NHS namely the trusts the local parts of the NHS that bought your treatment for you so in fact you've got the two things there we define the public good and we force you to pay the taxes yeah. very very inter interesting and and applicable to COVID and to various other kinds of, of tyranny here, because um, it, it applies to the law as well, because, you know, the, the postmodern house of law, you could say, which ends up with the abuses you've just described. Perhaps we're a little more protected from it in the common law jurisdictions because we have disclosure. We force uh, the prosecuting case to uh, prove all its assertions rather than make a written or verbal argument to a judge, maybe via Zoom these days, that yeah. experts have already established this, so it's not contested. So that the, the core of the core in both areas is Staatsgewalt, state compulsion to accept that this is a fact or pay this money. Yeah, that's it. You encapsulate that. You don't have, and that's why you need an independent judiciary. I mean, on the paper, they could. They could do hearings, and then if the pressure goes up, they will, they will do, but they must not do. So 
And even in Germany, there was a judge who did this, who called it independent experts and then ruled that, that a certain marksman that at school was harmful. The judge was suspended and is put on trial now himself for abuse of law because he made a judgment which goes against the state order and against what the state authority established as facts. Of course, no judge uh, will, will, will follow this example if then they are suspended and, and put, in, I mean, put on trial themselves. You have been put on trial in a way, haven't you, by your colleagues? Just please show us your book, which has come out. Uh, uh, Land yeah, this is, this, 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 yeah, this is a German book, and it is about, I mean, the subtitle that's mine, it's it's an, it's an instruction or, or a suggestion, an anleitung, it's instruction is a bit hard. hard Perhaps directions. How to go, how to get back to science and the rule of law. And directions to return that, to science and the rule yeah, of law. And ironically to, enough, it's called yeah, and then on the, the, the publisher the, the... said we need a we need a title a title which catches the eye of the public. So they said country without land without courage. Okay, and that's quite right because the problem is that that most people lack the courage to say to apply their own judgment and say, hey, that's not all right. Who are you to impose me a certain medical treatment? Who are you to impose me that I have to close down my, my business? I mean, if everybody who comes in does this voluntarily, I don't force anyone. And everybody is welcome, of course, to close down their business, to, uh, to go themselves into lockdown and, and we'll help them. They, they may wear masks, etc., but they, they, they must not impose this on, on other people, etc., and I mean, what what happened? I mean, this started with with this the the the, the German National Academy Leopoldina you mentioned before has be, become an instrument of the state. So they betrayed science. They issued uh, such ridiculous things as a proof of the absolute scientific necessity of the lockdown. That was for the second lockdown in Germany in winter 2020, when the Merkel government came under pressure. I mean, then, then people said, well, the first lockdown, we had one lockdown. Why do we need a second one? And, and there was no evidence, etc. And then the, the, the academy helped the government out, which is by, by ridiculous scientific proofs, which don't meet any standards of, of uh, I mean, any first year bachelor student could see that this was pure propaganda. And then I protested to that. And, and naive as I were, I thought, I mean, many people would sign up. So I wrote a letter to the president of the academy and said, well, please, that's not your job. Your job is not to help the government out, but to, but to foster science and um, enlightenment of the public. And then I thought, I mean, the number of colleagues in the academy would sign up, but but nearly no one was prepared to sign up. And then the letter got into public, and that got then me into trouble. And I got nasty uh, the journal commentaries that I'm somehow a nestbeschmutzer. How you did uh, translate that? A looter bad. of the nest, a, a fowler of the, the nest. nest. Yeah, that was in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, etc. And then we had the local, perhaps I find this in the, the local paper here, because then some some medical professors attacked me and said, well, there's a philosopher spreading, spreading fake news about, about COVID and, and vaccination. And then the local paper made the headline, um, um, Michael Esfeld, the rebellious professor who embarrasses the university, okay? Michael Esfeld, the prof, rebelki, embarrass l'union. So that's something like, what do you have in the UK? You have the sun and... and yeah, we, we call these so, the red tops. And this, it's also a red top. So it's exactly yeah. equivalent, a tabloid. Tablet, tablet paper. And, and, and uh, then, they, yeah. 
Okay, and they were they were appalled. They said that's not all right. So you see here the the the, the whole story. And and the thing is that they that the tablet paper criticizes the university for for doing what the university should do, namely allowing a debate. Yes, that the headline there is that the, the, the university calls into question its immense freedom. Immense yeah. freedom suggests, of course, dangerous. Yeah, of course, that that that, that the university allows and and they did. I mean the. The University of Lausanne, I mean, they, they had to implement all the, all the government regulations, of course, but I mean, I was free to speak out. I mean, I was, of course, not free to speak to break the rules or to criticize my employer, which I never did. But I mean, in the Kantian sense that the public use of your reason is always free, that was uh, respected. The öffentliche Gebrauch der Vernunft, that says Kant must, must immer frei sein. That's the only way to achieve progress, whereas the private use of reason, privé in the sense of when you have a working contract as an employer, of course, you have to respect the conditions of the contract. So you are limited in your use of reason, but publicly you can speak out. So in the Kantian times, the example was religion, so that, that some teacher of religion, if they were hired to teach a certain a certain religion, then of course they had to teach what the church expected from them, but nevertheless they were free in public to suggest improvements, to, to, to criticize what was going on. So in the same sense in Prussia at the time, they were obliged to, to pay taxes, etc., and to obey the, the orders, but uh, says Kant, the öffentliche Gebrauch der Vernunft, the public use of reason has always to be free. The citizen, the, the, the public, the members of the public always have the right to criticize the government, to make suggestions for improvement, etc. They don't have the right to take to arms and to violence, of course, but they have the right to always speak out in public. And that right today is no longer respected by, for instance, the media when you then get uh, defamed as so. So in this case of, of what we just had, this tablet newspaper, so the tablet newspaper was was arrived in the sense at least they gave me the possibility to, uh, to to reply. So they asked me some questions, and then I said, I want you to print exactly my answers. You can say if they are too long, etc., but you print this exactly so you don't cut off what you and and they did so. So in this case of the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, which is something like the Times in England, and what used to be a highly respected newspaper. They refused. And I said, okay, you, that's a defamation, what you did, Nestor Schmutz, et cetera. It was just a, a heap of insults, et cetera. So I write a letter, I read a letter to the editors, which I pointed out as, as a philosopher of science, it is my job to criticize scientific claims if they are used in a normative way to impose certain actions on people. That's just my job. That's the job of a philosopher and Socrates to, to look critically, so I'm just doing my job, come on, I'm just, I may be wrong or something, but I'm just doing my job. And they refused even to print a letter to the editor, so they they, they, they violated even as such as basic rule as you, you have to give the other side if they do it, and I mean, they do, they, they, there was nothing insulting. The, the old principle, audietur et altera pars. Yeah, let the uh, other yeah, side be heard. Yeah, that's not done anymore. So the recent thing I learned is that this book must not be presented at the Frankfurt Book Fair. So the editor Achbot was cancelled, and the reason is this is the focus we have now that they are cancelled is that some other 
publisher and authors who present their books at that book fair may feel offended if they see a book uh, claiming, I mean, if the, if, if the title is that and it's the, 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 the direction to go back to science and rule of law, so the implicit claim is we have lost science and the rule of law, and they may feel offended by that. And another book by a highly qualified, competent physician, Gunther Frank, was also banned because Gunther Frank claims that the state committed a crime. So he wrote the book with the same editor, the Staatsverbrechen, claiming that if the state, for instance, imposes medical treatments such as these vaccinations on people without telling them that they are not well tested, they only have conditional approval, so they not leave freedom of choice to the people, that's a crime, and it's obviously a crime. So I remember some professor of, of ethics saying that they are, of course, open, and they want a critical discourse, and they respect the open society, and then some, some, someone asked them and say, okay, would you invite this, this, this physician to speak? I said, of course, no, no, you must not question the government, of course. That's beyond the limit of the open discourse. So you have the same here. Of course, they want an open discourse. So you can choose, for instance, if you get your mandatory vaccination through Johnson & Johnson or BioNTech. But if you say that mandatory vaccinations are wrong or something like that, or it's wrong that the state imposes it, of course, you must not say that is beyond the limits of what can be held as discourse. That's so ridiculous. Now go back to, to Eastern Germany. Of course you had freedom of speech. Of course they, they even had elections or so. There was a liberal party, a Christian democratic party, even a German national party, on the condition that they formed the bloc with the communist party. But they could somehow, some, and sometimes they could bring in some, the Christian Democrats put in some opposition for, for religious reasons, etc. But they all had to avow to, to anti-fascism. And I mean, what, what a fascist was, was more or less everybody who, could, who somehow contradicted that, the, uh, that communism is, is, is scientifically proven. So you can just apply this word to word. Of course, you have to adhere to, 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 the, the, to the official narrative. And then, of course, within this, we have a discussion. We have some choice. But the, 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 exactly same... the freedom of speech, which you have in every totalitarian state. You have the same so triad. Ridiculous. The same triad in the communist bloc is the one which is now being touted here in the Netherlands by the AIVD, the premier intelligence agency, as I recently covered, because they actually show a pyramid, although they invert it pointing downwards, showing that the plebs, whom they put at the top, so it's not so obvious, uh, have to have trust in the official narrative through the pillars of state-funded science, state-funded yes. education, and state-funded broadcasting or media, these three, which you, at the end of the conclusion of your book, talk about. Uh, and you talk about this uh, system as having been irreparably damaged in practice uh, because it leads to hubris, which is the same as superbia, the, the classical and Christian understanding is this is the key sin, the mother of all other sins, the pride which says I can determine everything in the world, which you also say is corruption. And this corruption comes about because uh, dreamers thinking about this, this common good, uh, unattainable norm have said, well, if we force the plebs to pay for the right thinking, because, because media, education, science is all about how to perceive the world, uh, then we can use our state force. And you, you've hit the bedrock of that. Particularly ironic, given that the Frankfurt Book Fair is not historically the Frankfurt Book Fair. It was the Leipzig Book Fair, wasn't it? They moved it from East Germany because they thought if we leave it in Leipzig, professors of philosophy and physicians will be cancelled by an overbearing state and not be able to sell their books there. 
Yeah, yeah, but, but it's uh, it's the same now. And Frankfurt, the point indeed is that we have to get back to the rule of law. And when the state exercises a monopoly about financing science, about financing the media, about determining healthcare, etc., this leads to abuse. So the, the rules of what we see now are much deeper. So we have to get, we have to move the state funding out of science, out of economy, and also out of healthcare and social security. As we mentioned before, people were able to, I mean, philosophy exists since 2,500 years, since the ancient Greeks. It's financed by the state. I mean, we have the state-funded science for the last 200 years. So we had a 2,000 years before, and, and it will continue without state funding. We had education without state funding. We had health care, social security. I mean, people... We had law able, without the state, as you said. We have all without the state. So we don't need the state for that. We need the state for guaranteeing a rule of law, and we need the state, I mean, given as geopolitics are for external defense. I mean, but we don't need it to interfere with the internal affairs of people. It must not interfere with the economy, with, uh, with, with how, uh, with, with what you think consider fit for your health, with um, what you think, how you want to educate your children, what science is done. Because, I mean, the idea of republicanism was putting this in the hand of the monopoly of the state will guarantee pluralism and keep out private interests. Now, just the opposite is the case, because if you have a private interest and if you're powerful enough, you just hijack the state. As we've seen, if you want to sell, your, if you're an entrepreneur, you want to sell your products, the easiest thing is to, to, to convince some politicians that you work for the common good, ESG, the climate regime, it's the same uh, scheme again, then they will bail you out. And the best is that you further people's health or so, and you could do the same with diet, you directly impose your products on the people and you're not liable. So the alternative is we need a, a strong rule of law, a judicial system where everybody is liable for their actions and can be taken to a court and, and the court has to give a fair, fair hearing to hearing to all the sides, etc. So, so a rule of law, but otherwise they are free to do what they want to the extent that we had before rule of law to respect the freedom of everybody else. And the greatest enemy of the society now is the state monopolizing the economy, monopolizing science, monopolizing the media, because then you don't have uh, the pluralism anymore and you're not able to, 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 to form an, an informed opinion anymore. So. I think that the, the corruption of the intellectuals, the corruption of science is even worse than the open corruption of economy when, when someone claims that their enterprise serves their common good and they have to be bailed out. Because the corruption through science is not so obvious and, and through the opinion. Many people believe that if, if, well, it's scientific. So I heard many, we had local, it's interesting, we had local elections here. And somehow someone told some liberals that they should approach me to stand as a, as a local candidate. And they said, well, you call yourself liberal, but you supported all the lockdowns. And they said, well, yes, I mean, we know that's against the constitution, et cetera, but science told us to do so. And they said, well, man, think about for yourself, what is science? How can science tell you this? Did you ever see any, 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 any real danger? No, but science told us. So they believed in science. So and, and Maybe, you Michael, you should uh, give a, a a philosophy lecture once on on the history of science wearing a t-shirt that says the science tm made me do it yeah 
Now, Mikhail, your book will be available, I understand, in English, published also, well, not this time by Achgut, but uh, by, by someone else. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the English version of this book, but I think I should get my thoughts ordered first and, and then look for a publisher, and it will probably not be mainstream academic. And in the meantime, I very much recommend that people give a careful full read to your article, The Illusion of Republicanism, which will be linked, as with the other things we've referred to, uh, in the write-up below this video upload on ukcolumn.org. That was published by the Brownstone Institute. I take it you will continue to write for them as well? Yes, if they if they want me, is that right? Yeah, it depends on if I have the time. But there's, I mean, that's the good thing. There are things like the Brownstone Institute, like the Liberal Institute in Switzerland, etc. So we are not isolated. We are not in the Soviet Union where when you were calling into question communism, you were put into psychiatric isolation because you were obviously a mad person if you could. Uh, or which has been scientifically proven. We are not yet there. We can meet over Zoom. We can associate and, and institutions like, like Brownstone, the American Institute of Economic Research with the Great Barrington Declaration. They did a great job. Why? Because when I, I, I felt uh, from the beginning, there's something going wrong here. Now I had some friends and philosophy, some colleagues who felt the same. But then they said, you are not a medical expert. So how can I know a medical expert who has the same view, who voices criticism? Then, and then when the Great Barrington Declaration was published, then I saw Switzerland, unfortunately, no one was among the original signatures, but some, some Germans were. So I wrote emails to them and say, well, can you help me out, please? I, I think this is going wrong, but I come under attack because they tell me that I don't understand anything about medicine and, and you signed this declaration so you seem to think that the protection of, of vulnerable people would be sufficient so can you help me out and so at this way I met many friends and then when I spoke out other people contacted me and said I think you are right can we meet can we discuss this and that way we have we have we, we can associate so and that's the good thing I mean, there, there is a, there, I'm optimistic for the future because this regime will collapse because people will at some stage, I mean, there's Ayn Rand saying you can ignore reality, but you cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. So we'll see the economic consequences and the intellectual consequences. So, and, and people feel that, there, that those who got vaccinated, there are a lot of people who had adverse effects, but and they still got COVID and they still live. And all these unvaccinated people like myself, we are still walking around uh, alive and, and, and happily, et cetera, without health damages. So you see, at some stage, you see that this narrative don't meet reality. Professor Mikhail Esfeld, it's been a pleasure to interview you for UK Column, and we wish you all the best fighting your corner in Lausanne, and I expect you're pretty glad that your tenure cannot be revoked so easily. It can, but it will hopefully not, yeah. Thank you.